What's up, wrestling fans? We are back here on the Nerd Initiative YouTube channel talking pro wrestling. Specifically, we're going to be talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling, of course. I am your host here on NI Wrestling. My name is Rich. Joining me to my uh, right, your left, is the man who doesn't need an introduction, but he has a long introduction that we're not going to go completely in. He's the host of the Otodura Parley Hour podcast. He's also the host of Turn a Page right here on the YouTube channel every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you're checking out that Cheersies Awards. And the last but certainly not least, he's the EIC for the Comics Division of Nerd Initiative. It is the one and only Ken M. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Wrestle Kingdom season. Absolutely. And speaking of which, we have a very special guest this week. He is the man who is the velvet voice of pro wrestling. He is also the man who gives you all the that you need to know about New Japan if you tune into NJPWWorld.com. Of course, that's for 999 yen a month. I think it's just shy of $9 if you're going by the U.S. exchange rate. Ladies and gentlemen, he is one of the uh, voices of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Welcome. Walker Stewart to the show. What's up, man? Yeah, hey, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Ken, you you wear a lot of hats, I just heard. I, I You and I must be getting along here because I, I also yes. wear a lot of hats, so you know, I respect that. No, I, I'm fired up today. You know, I this is the 90 millionth podcast I've done today. I've loved every <laughs> single one of them that I've done except one, but we're not going to talk about that one. Hey, <laughs> this one. <laughs> See, now everyone gets to go theorize on which one I didn't like, so that's good. Uh I, I like creating buzz that way. I, I'm excited tonight because we're going to be talking about Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, you know, Rich, you're in a hotel. Ken, you're, you look like what is in a lovely studio area. I'm in my office. Uh, I'm fired up. We're getting into it. Absolutely. It. I, can't, I can't think of a better time to talk but now about Wrestle Kingdom. But before, let's find out a little bit about you, Walker, for some of the people who might not know who you are. Uh, I'm going to just start off by asking you, how did you get into commentating in the wrestling business? Right. Yeah. So this is a very interesting story. This is a very Gen Z story. I feel I'm 21 years old for anyone who may not know. And uh, I first started, I, I used to do content creation on Twitch. I used to do some Twitch live streaming, video game content, uh, different things like that. I would go and stream wrestling video games and I would sim matches and I would call them live in front of an audience of five people or whoever decided to watch that day. Um, and that was my little, that was just me having fun. That was just me doing something because I said, ah, this is fun and I'm not half bad at it. And then people started telling me, hey, you're not half bad at it. And then I found a promotion in Oklahoma City that said, hey, we need a commentator. And, uh, you know, it's it's Oklahoma Indep Independent Professional Wrestling, which is not exactly known for being uh, the highest caliber of the independents by any means. I It was a company that was drawing maybe 30 or 40 people at a show, recording shows off of an iPad. And um, I was 19 years old at the time, and I decided, hey, uh, you know, I've never been in the wrestling business before. I've always had dreams and aspirations of doing so, but... I grew up in the era of the WWE Network documentary where it would, you know, you'd see the NXT tryouts or you'd see all these different things of like, oh, uh, it's so difficult, it's so difficult to make it to in this industry that I thought it just wasn't achievable to do anything as a broadcaster. So I had no intentions of doing anything full time. Uh, and then I started doing it 
And then I was told, hey, you're not half bad. You should consider going here. And those places recommended me here. And those places recommended me here. And it led me down this really fun train where I spent about two and a half years, a little under two and a half years, uh, doing independent professional wrestling. I racked up a little under 250 shows that I did overall, uh, which that would be a pretty big number for a professional wrestler, let alone someone yeah. like myself who serves in an auxiliary role, a role that is uh, deemed unnecessary for a lot of people on independent wrestling because not you don't need a commentator or even a, a, a high-class ring announcer to run a successful independent wrestling show for a local audience. And so uh, I had kind of had my back up against the wall in that way. So uh, along with the commentary stuff and the announcing stuff that I worked on, uh, I started my own production company. It's called Gold Standard Media. And uh, within doing that, I taught myself fully from the ground up how to film, how to edit professional wrestling products. And I provided uh, what at the time and still is with what I'm keeping going or at least attempting to keep going while on the road in Japan. Um, the premier pro wrestling production company for uh, wrestling in the area in Oklahoma, which that's not to say it like it's some big massive thing or like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a do-gooder. I'm doing a service here. Uh, but there's a lot of talents in the state of Oklahoma that uh, don't end up leaving, particularly because people don't really see their stuff. They don't have a way for them to advertise themselves or showcase their work to independent promoters they want to go work for outside of, uh, you know, maybe shoddy iPhone cam from 10 rows back, uh, right? So, you know, I, I get to kind of work on those production skills. I did the commentary thing 200-something shows later. Uh, my good pal, good close personal friend, Kevin Kelly, uh, stumbled upon me through another good friend of mine named Brutal Bob Evans, who was a uh, worker in Ring of Honor. Uh, I see Bob Evans as one of the top independent wrestling talent scouts in the world today. Um, he's made a lot of recommendations that have gotten people signed to different professional companies. That's not to say any worker listening to this go hit up Bob Evans, but he's not a bad guy to learn from. And um, him and I became good friends. He was already very close with Kevin. Kevin made it apparent that he was going to be leaving New Japan, and Bob took the risk to put my name up, having never heard any of my announcing before in his life. Uh, he simply decided to put me up to the man who would have the most sway in making that decision because of that work ethic, uh, because I do share uh, a very sound mind when it comes to professional wrestling, not to say that I know it all, but I, I know a little bit more than someone at the age of 21 years old, you might expect them to. And uh, it's, it's led us here to today. I, I reached out to Kevin Kelly and I said, give me your job. And uh, no, it's, I, I reached out to Kevin and I said, uh, in a very respectful way, because I didn't want him to hate me, and I didn't want it to sound like I'm, I'm ousting him from where he was. I, I asked him very kindly, you know, what would it take for a 21-year-old kid who wants to do this for the rest of his life to be in the role that you're in right now? I didn't expect Kevin to say, yeah, here's the keys to the mansion, go walk right in, but uh, I expected Kevin to maybe hit me with a... Uh, oh, just keep doing what you're doing, because that's what I'd always heard. I expected him to hit me with oh, uh, maybe I'll let you talk to this guy. He might be able to help you and connect me with someone. But he ended up asking me for a resume and a headshot, asked me for a highlight reel. A um, couple weeks later, I got the call, and they said, hey, Walker, uh, we would like to sign you. Uh, we'd like to bring you in full time. And 
uh, we want you to be a part of the team. And now I'm here. And now I, <laughs> months down the line, find myself calling my first ever Wrestle Kingdom of what's set to be money. So it's it it feels storybook for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I went through uh, the things that many people on the independents do, uh, working for shoddy promoters that don't pay you and that I'll never see that money for. Uh, driving 16 hours both ways just because there's potential for an opportunity somewhere. Um, I, I did that for months and months and months to end up getting on at Booker T School down at Reality of Wrestling in Houston, Texas. It's a eight-hour drive down, eight-hour drive back. I would make it all without sleeping because I had school the next morning, you know? Um, so all of this while, you know, working college and, and trying to keep my, my side business going and trying to advance the skills. It was a lot at once, but uh, the, all of that mental pressure I put myself under for those two to three years, it 100% has worked out for the better for me. So that's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the ins and outs of it. Yeah, I, I think the first time I ever heard you commentate was on a GCW show. So really, oh, yeah, 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 because yeah. I'm big GCW fans uh, okay. as well. So, so it's kind of like one of those things where I was like, 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 like who is this guy? Like, because right. you do, you have a very, you, I, I can see why you're in the spot because you have a very good voice for it. I mean, and you're very knowledgeable. So it's it's awesome. That's just it's a crazy story though. Like, right. but that's the wrestling business, you know what I mean? Like, in a, in a nutshell. And it's always been young guys who who carry it forward. You know, it's, you know, you have the old stories. But, like, I think I was, like, when I started working in the offices and behind the scenes for uh, Square Circle Wrestling, well, I was, out this years ago, aged myself, but I was 23. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was still pretty young. Not as young as you, but I was still pretty young. And at the time, you know, that was kind of, you know, it was looked weird upon. And then, you know, as you move up, it's just kind of, it's, it's great to hear that that's still going on. Uh, Ken, uh, you got something you would like to ask before we talk about Wrestle Kingdom? No, I was just going to say, I mean, first and foremost, that's an amazing story. I mean, just the, the <laughs> DIY ethic, the, I mean, that is just putting your mind to it and taking advantage of the opportunity and, and staying ready. Cause you never know. Like I said, you had your highlight reel, you know, like the bare basics where you should always be ready to go at a drop of a dime. And I think a lot of people your age just don't really pick up on that. Just always be ready. Cause you never know an opportunity is going to kick in, especially with new Japan. And now going into wrestle kingdom, can you describe to anybody that's not familiar with new Japan? Cause we, we have so many people that are into like the pop culture wrestling. I always kind of call it with WWE and AEW that they might know of new Japan, but they don't know all about it. Like if you're trying to explain this to a new fan, how do you describe new Japan pro wrestling? Imagine an event with so much aura that people will spend years and years fantasizing about it and dreaming of it. And then one day they're there and it still doesn't feel real because of how much it has been built up in their mind. And not only that, but it delivers on all fronts. Uh, I can't describe many things that are like that in life, gentlemen. Um, that, that's exactly my mindset going into Wrestle Kingdom. And I work for the company. You could only imagine if I was a, uh, you know, a, a paying customer, a fan, you know, what the elation that would still be there. Um, Wrestle Kingdom 18 is, uh, and Wrestle Kingdom in general is what kicks off the calendar year for professional wrestling, and it sets the tone for what we are to expect in professional wrestling. You'll notice that over the past 20 years, I would argue, even though I've only been around for 21 of them, I'm going to bet on this take. It's that every single year, professional wrestling gets better. 
every single year in-ring action gets better we find stories that we invest in more every single thing gets better you know what's kicked off professional wrestling for the past 17 18 years it's been wrestle kingdom i think there's a tie to that um with wrestle kingdom 18 it's going to be the exact same thing uh it is the hottest the best i would argue professional wrestling on the planet and i'm not just saying that because i'm employed with the company uh there was a period of time where i was heavily interested in getting into new japan pro wrestling when it comes to a fan perspective this is before i got involved in the wrestling industry itself uh i just found it a little difficult to keep up with as a god i would have been 16 17 years old in school i can't watch stuff live because i have to wake up at 6 a.m for class so you know that's I'm, I'm really dating myself in the opposite way here but um you know so the result there's always been that interest and that aura there for me but as soon as you know they approached me with this offer and and the offer of a lifetime to be able to do what i love full time and, and make a living off it and support myself and my girlfriend and my family off of it um it's it's a dream come true it's a life-changing moment but i would not be talking about it with you today i would not be doing the media tour that i am i would not be doing the podcasts if i did not love what we are actively doing i love professional wrestling i could talk pro wrestling all day with you but i can't talk about pro wrestling that i'm not in love with and uh mm -hmm. that's where we find ourselves with 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 wrestle kingdom 18 it's the biggest professional wrestling show of the year bar none in my opinion sure there are people that are going to call out other companies and other shows uh, you compare the in-ring product you compare the emotional weight and the aura of this show to any other it is it is top of the line it's top tier so that that's uh in, in no short order that is my answer to what is wrestle kingdom that that was a great answer i mean if there's somebody that's on the fence after that i don't know what's going to take you to get out you get off the fence yeah i'm just going to be honest there but uh i I've, i have the same feelings i've been a lifelong well i shouldn't say lifelong i've i found uh Japanese wrestling, New Japan in specific, when I was about you know 12, 13 years old. So it was the 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 mid nineties, uh, or as the kids nowadays call it, the late nineteen hundreds. But anyways, uh, uh, you know, and the, back then it was tape trading. So we won't even get into that because it's going to take if the kids are watching, their younger people are watching, it's going to take them forever to tell. Hey, you yeah. used to mail tapes to somebody, and since I live in the Northeast, I would I would mail out tapes of the ECW TV shows. And get mm -hmm. back stuff from Japan, uh, so that yeah, was yeah. that was kind of a nice trade-off. Uh, so I would just record them at at a young age, just mail them to strangers, and they would mail me stuff from Japan, and it was a perfectly acceptable thing to do at the time. I don't, yep. you know, now it, it's a little weird, right? Right. But, uh, watch list for that now. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I mean, even even back then, the the January Fourth show, which wasn't known as Wrestle Kingdom at the time, it was the January Fourth Tokyo Dome show was the show. That was the show you tried to get every year because that's where big things happened, you know. And you could go through the history and lineage, but we won't clog it all up in there. But before we talk about Wrestle Kingdom, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the big news that happened in New Japan. Uh, this past week, and it was announced that the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi, not only the most one of the most legendary wrestlers of all time, but now he is the president of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, I personally, as a fan, super excited for it because I'm a huge Tanahashi fan. As somebody who is a fan and as somebody who works for the company, how's your thoughts on uh, Tanahashi being the president, or as he calls himself, uh, uh, ace president, I do believe? Yes. I, I consider this a positive. 
on all fronts, and I want to dive into them all right now. I'm excited about it. Roshi Tanahashi is historically and in my experience, one of the most selfless, selfless athletes that you will find in professional wrestling. He has showcased this throughout his work at the top of his reign in New Japan Pro Wrestling. When the company was at one of its lowest points that it has been in, and especially when we're talking modern times, excluding you know the COVID pandemic, when we're talking modern times, low times for New Japan Pro Wrestling, Hiroshi Tanahashi was the man who carried this company on his back. I attribute me being able to do what I love day in and day out to Hiroshi Tanahashi being around. And that is because... He was the one who kept the ship afloat. So I think there's something poetic about the man who managed to do that as an athlete, be so influential as an athlete and as a professional wrestler in that time. Now taking the mantle when, you know, uh, the powers that be believe that there is time for a management shift to take us further in a different direction, in a newer direction, in a more modern and sports-centric direction, if that is what is to be happening. Uh, I think there is no one better to take that mantle than Hiroshi Tanahashi. He showcased that selflessness throughout his time on top. Uh, the passing of the torch to one Kazushika Okada, a moment that Hiroshi Tanahashi did not need to do. He could have mm -hmm. spent much, much, much more time on top if he truly wanted to be. He wanted to make sure that the legacy beyond himself was secured because he knew he wasn't going to be around forever. Now, this is the ultimate trial of that. This is the ultimate passion project, so to speak, for Tanahashi. It's, all right, now I've, I've helped develop stars. I've done this. I've done this. I've mentored people, whatever. Now I lead. And he's been leading in the locker room, and that's why locker room morale is at an all-time high right now when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I can guarantee you that. It's not just because we're going into the biggest show of the year. Uh, there's obviously with a active wrestler in the locker room, we haven't had a wrestler in, uh, in the president position since Tatsumi Fujinami reigned in office. And uh, reality is, Hiroshi Tanahashi, I know, is going to be an advocate for talent. Uh, not that that wasn't there with under the reign of Obari, and Obari did a fantastic job throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, keeping things afloat and dealing with uh, with legislature and stuff like that from the Japanese government coming down um, and, and making sure that we're, we're, the ship's not sinking by any means. Uh, now, you know, the captain is, is being allowed to retire to his quarters, and a new captain gets to take the deck, and I, I think Tanahashi is ready to set sail sooner rather than later. So... Um, I'm I for one am super excited for Hiroshi Tanahashi. One of the nicest men would probably give the shirt off his back to make you feel more comfortable or more welcomed in a locker room or in New Japan. I've had very positive interactions with President Tanahashi, and uh, I'm excited not only for Wrestle Kingdom that we're going to get into and talk about, but also just the direction for New Japan in 2024. I don't know how much changes. I don't know if anything changes uh, with Tanahashi now being involved in that position. But I know that having a locker room leader like that leading the company and being backed by a variety of business people on every side of him is an absolute positive. It is a win publicly uh, facing People love Hiroshi Tanahashi. You said it yourself, Rich. Ken, I'm sure you feel the same way. Absolutely. Tanahashi is, is one of the most beloved men that you, you are going to find on or off the roster in the entire world. So the, the fanfare that is coming out about, I mean, when's the last time we had fanfare like this for uh, an announced president of New Japan Pro Wrestling? I can't really uh, think of it outside 
I, I just don't know what I'd say. So, yeah, overall, Tanahashi being president, I'm fired up for it. I don't know if there's any changes to come, but uh, I trust in, in uh, President Ace, and I trust in uh, his judgment going forward. I'm excited to see what 2024 brings. No, absolutely. Like, I'm excited to see what he's going to do because I think just him coming in, especially with his pedigree and obviously the relationship he has with the locker room, the fans, like, it's nothing but win going into a new year and also kicking off the new era, perfectly tied with Wrestle Kingdom. And obviously, he has such a high-profile match on the card. I mean, I think it's time we get into the meat and potatoes, so to speak. Let us talk some Wrestle Kingdom. And he has a very big task ahead of him with one Zack Sabre Jr. for the New Japan television title. What is your thoughts on this match? You know, second matchup on the card and is the shortest time limit allotted. Uh, I think that's something that we have to acknowledge for big match Tanahashi because Hiroshi Tanahashi, we've seen him in the Tokyo Dome before. We've seen him make it his palace. It is a place where Hiroshi Tanahashi has reigned supreme and fallen at times, but it has mostly been those supreme reigns that everyone remembers. And gentlemen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Hiroshi Tanahashi has a history with going distances. He's gone mm -hmm. long before. We're not going to be seeing that in this matchup. Uh, reality is this 17th defense, I believe, if successful for Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, he's had 16 previous defenses, which is an Im incredibly impressive number. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a first ever champion in the, when it comes to the World Television Championship. He was crowned back at Wrestle Kingdom 17, defeating Ren Narita in the finals of the tournament to win the title. And uh, when the championship was announced, uh, I the, the roots of it were acknowledged to be for younger talent. And we've seen Zack Sabre Jr. defending against a variety of talents, uh, some younger, some not so. I think Hiroshi Tanahashi has a message and a an idea of bringing the World Television Championship back to those roots. But he wants to be the one, not only as president, but as champion to, at the forefront of the battle lines, be the gatekeeper for the young talent in New Japan Pro Wrestling, saying, hey, if you want to prove that you are as good as you think you are, whether you're a young lion, whether you're a Callum Newman type who never went through the system, whether you're whoever you are, it doesn't matter if you want to step in the ring, if you want to prove that you belong here, I will be the guardian of this company, the company that I love, that I save from sinking, and the company that I run now with a, with a full heart, you know? So... I think Hiroshi Tanahashi wants to take this championship back to its roots, specifically challenge younger talents. We're talking about a former IWGP U30 champion, you know, under under the age of 30 years old is what you had to be to win that title, and Tanahashi's won it before. Um, so he knows all about, you know, being that younger cat, uh, scratching and clawing for higher prizes. He wants to be the man that they have to step up to. The thing to keep in mind, though, is that Zack Sabre Jr., What's made him so successful throughout every single one of these defenses and throughout his entire reign is that he knows how to manipulate that 15-minute time limit. This 15-minute mm -hmm. time limit is nothing new. It is applied to every single World Television Championship match, as you guys know. And so when it comes to matches that we've seen before, I, I hearken back to the match he had at Lone Star Shootout recently with Speedball Mike Bailey, where we yeah. saw it come down to seconds seconds where we could have seen a time limit draw uh it was it was the time manipulation on top of the mental and body manipulation that zach saber jr utilizes to walk away with victories and matches i truly believe zsj is is one of if not the best professional wrestler going in the game 
But we're talking about the ace. We're talking about the president going into his home at the Tokyo Dome. We've seen him successful more than not. And uh, I think that you're hard-pressed to doubt either of these men. I think it's a true Mm -hmm. toss-up going in. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it reminds me, Tanahashi reminds me in a way of when I was young, uh, Gorilla Monsoon used to say about Greg the Hammer Valentine, it takes him about 10, 15 minutes to get warmed up. And in this case, he doesn't have 10, 15 minutes to get warmed up. You know, Tanahashi's very, you know, like you said, he likes to grind it down. I mean, this is the man who went almost an hour with Kenny Omega only a few years ago at Wrestle, mm-hmm. Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, it, at the time, you know, Kenny Omega in the prime of the best bout machine. And he went and you know, defeated Kenny Omega and it almost took an hour. So he's got to get this done against one of the best technical wrestlers in the world in 15 minutes. And as you pointed out, a guy who knows how to manipulate that 15 minutes, you don't have, he doesn't have to win the match. He just has to survive. Right. And at the end of the day, it's going to be a great match to watch. I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people who might not, you know, know who Zack Sabre Jr. is to like the mainstream. You know, I know that he's, to us, you know, we know he's great, but I think this is going to be an opportunity to show that because Tanahashi is known and beloved world around the world. This is a big opportunity for Zack Sabre Jr. I think it's interesting to point out as well. We're talking about an aged up Roshi Tanahashi compared to previous encounters in previous times and previous years. I mean, Tanahashi has made it no secret that uh, he's not going to be around forever. He hasn't really come across to me as one of these I'm going to die in the ring types of people. He's a very intelligent man, especially with this presidency now. He has to have a longevity of of life and a, a healthy standard of life to be able to lead effectively, and he knows that. So we're talking about an older and slower Hiroshi Tanahashi, still the ace of the universe, still one of the most talented and decorated men in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but slower yet needing to move faster because of this time limit so it's 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 oxymoronic in a sense but um i i think that there's there's something to be acknowledged there about it i personally that that is a match that even though it's only a 15 minute time limit i it has the potential to steal the show for me oh absolutely, oh, absolutely. speaking of show stealers though let's talk about three guys that are arguably in the prime of their career i'm not saying that they're in the best form i think there's still a lot to go for these these gentlemen however they're definitely near that prime. And, of course, I'm talking about the three-way for the IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is the inaugural champion because, you know, obviously Will Osprey had the U.S. Uh, title, changed it to the U.K. title. New Japan said, hey, we'll just do a global title. Why not? So we're going to get a first-ever global champion, Will Osprey, versus John Moxley versus David Finley, the leader of the Bullet Club. So you have on one hand, and I, I, I can't wait to hear you break this up, but I, you have on one hand, David Finley, do whatever he's going to do to win. On the other hand, you have John Moxley. And if, for those people who are familiar with John Moxley at AEW or you know previously in WWE, I've always said New Japan John Moxley is a whole, whole other beast. Different. Whole different. And then wrestler. you have arguably the best wrestler in the world in a lot of people's minds in Will Ospreay. And, of course, he has something to prove. It. He's leaving. We know, you know, well, at least he's stepping away to go to all elite wrestling, but he says he's not giving, he's not just going away. I mean, he's even made it that he's putting the belt on the line against Okada at Battle in the Valley. So he's that confident that he's going to win this title. I, I'm just going to say this could be easily matched. Like just looking on paper, what's your breakdown of the three way? 
you know, I think that it's very easy to call this a potential match of the night candidate when you look at all the players involved. And it's a lot of combustible elements that I'm excited to get into. Uh, you know, first off, you talk about a guy in David Finley. This is a need-to-win situation mm-hmm. for the Rebel, for David Finley. Not only as the, you know, I, I don't want to say the supposed leader of Bullet Club, but I have to wonder who's really pulling the strings, cough, cough, ghetto. But, hey, you know, that's a conversation mm-hmm. for another time. You know, I think that David Finley has had a career full of comparisons. It has been comparison to his father, even now comparison to his brother in uh, indie wrestling and uh, I believe new WWE signee Brogan Finley. Uh, yep. There is these comparisons that we're seeing made in these places. There is now comparison that has been made between David Finley and other uh international talents that were involved with his uh, young lion class. You know, you, you have your Jay White, Juice Robinson, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, there is the comparisons that he's facing now, which is comparisons between different leaders that we've had in the past for the Bullet Club. A lot of people have considered David Finley to be one of the weakest. And that is, uh, while that's not an opinion that I exactly hold, at least I'm not going to go on record and say it for my own safety because I do have to be ringside (laughs) for this. Uh, David Finley is hearing all of these murmurs. And he can pretend he isn't, but I know the man uses social media. I know he has two working ears and a brain that functions. David Finley is hearing all of these, and it's festering. And not to mention, he has a guy like Gato in his ear. What the hell is that guy saying? I, mm-hmm. I, I There's a lot that could possibly be going on there. David Finley um, hasn't been the same since losing the Never Openweight Championship. Um, that much is for certain. I think that was a shock to the system. I think it was a shock to the confidence. And when confidence is low, uh, desperate men do desperate things. And I think we're going to see that desperation come out in this matchup here with David Finley. The final point I want to make on Finley is, of course, the elephant in the room of we have uh, newest AEW signee Will Ospreay. We have John Moxley, who is a former three-time AEW world champion and, and some might say the ace of New J- of sorry, of, uh, of all elite wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then we have the lone New Japan representative, for better or for worse, it is, David Finley, and I know there are some people that want to hope David Finley has the heart to say, I want to win the IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship to represent New Japan, but I don't think that's where David Finley's head is at at all, because while he might respect the talent in New Japan, he might respect the sanctity of certain things in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think David Finley's number one concern is himself, is his own image, is Bullet Club, is Gato, it's the War Dogs, it is everything surrounding him this empire that he wants to control um that being said like i said everything is uh is on the line here for david finley if john moxley or will osprey lose this match they go to AEW and they continue to compete and they continue to live and uh if david finley loses this match to either osprey or moxley osprey and moxley go on to do whatever it is that they do and david finley has to remain in new japan pro wrestling and know that Two people or whoever else walked away with the championship that is supposed to be for New Japan. It is IWGP. Those four letters represent New Japan as much as NJPW do. And so all that being said, uh, you know, there's there's so many layers to this with David Finley that I really think makes him the wild card. If I had to pick, 
that I had to give for this matchup specifically. I think that it would be Finley, but as we know, Moxley and Osprey, those are two unpredictable guys. It is it's completely impossible to call this one, I feel, uh, without you know, constantly changing your mind of what if this happens and what if he's feeling this way. We're just we're just gonna have to wait for it to unfold at Wrestle Kingdom 18. Yeah, it's definitely one of those matches that's like that, Ken. Pressure either makes diamonds or dust. And I think that Finley is feeling this and he is we're gonna find out what he's made of. And I fully think he's going to rise up to the challenge. I think that being the face of the Bullet Club since it's been in its reincarnation and he has been the self-proclaimed leader, he needs to win this more than anybody. So I fully think he understands the temp in the room. Will Osprey and Moxley are going to push him like nobody's pushed him before. Will Osprey is arguably the greatest wrestler on the planet right now. John Moxley in New Japan turns it into another gear. And it's something that you, when you watch him in New Japan, something clicks and he finds another level to take a match to. And this is where Finley is going to have to step up and really impose his will and say, how bad do I want this? Not, you know, everybody else. He has to tune in and just focus on himself. If he is really going to be the big star that I believe he can be, he needs to come home with this belt by hook or by crook. It doesn't matter. He needs to win this for validation. And like I said, with that pressure, he's either going to shine like a diamond or just fade away into dust. And I fully think at the end of the night, he's holding that belt. And and, and another point I want to bring up is a point that my good pal Chris Charlton mentioned as soon as the announcement of the Global Heavyweight Championship came about. Uh, something along the lines of, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, the, the world comes to fight the world heavyweight champion the global heavyweight champion goes to fight the world i really hope that whoever wins this championship while representative of new japan pro wrestling you know there have been talks from bushi road of expansion of new japan pro wrestling's product into more of the southeast asian market uh more heavily into the new japan strong events in the united states and there's even potential that we go outside of those two regions as well and, and there's there's seven continents to hit gentlemen and uh we i know that mm-hmm. there's interest in hitting every single one of them at a certain point uh whoever walks away with this championship i really hope goes on to adopt this this world beater mentality to go on and, and defend it at independent wrestling events i know john moxley has had some activity in the aforementioned gcw i'd love mm-hmm. to see john moxley take the iwgp global championship to a gcw event in, in jersey city i would love to see will osprey take the global championship to rev pro or any other independent event that he finds himself at or david finley could take to africa for all i care i want to see this championship represented all across the world Uh, and i really think by doing so anyone who's willing to step to that challenge anyone who's willing to do so cements their place in history and cements their legacy way more than if they just win the global heavyweight championship and then sit dormantly until new japan announces their next challenger for whatever upcoming event oh absolutely i think that that is definitely definitely something that should be done with that belt and i would love to see it defended around the world but speaking of around the world there is a match on this card that I think has got the eye of most of the world. And of course, that is between the man, if we're talking about the forever ace being Hiroshi Tanahashi, the man who came next and generationally in line to him would be the rainmaker, Kazushka Okada. 
And of course, he's got a tough challenge on his plate because he takes on the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, arguably a man who you got to go back to his Ring of Honor days. He coined the term best in the world. It now gets used by a lot of guys, but he was the very first guy to use it in the independent wrestling realm and then take it to a worldwide planet. And now knowing that this is the last year, we know that next year, sorry, 2024, we're going to be there for this event. This is going to be the last year of Brian Danielson's historic career. He's already said he's, he's done. This is going to be it. That in Okada, there's a lot of questions in the air about that. We're not going to dive into that. However, these two guys have been on a collision course ever since that match at Forbidden Door. I would like to uh, get your take on what you think is going on here with Okada and Brian Danielson. I can say personally from the get-go, uh, this is the matchup that uh, beyond the World Heavyweight Championship match, the World Heavyweight title is at the number one on my list, but this is high, high up on the list of matches I'm most excited for to call from a personal perspective. Uh, I told you I, I grew up in the, the PG era of WWE. Uh, I was a massive Daniel Bryan guy, even before knowing anything about what he had done in Ring of Honor or winning the junior heavyweight tag team championships in New Japan with Curry Man. I had no idea. Uh, now I know, and I'll talk about that at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, but... You know, I, I grew up on, on Daniel Bryan. My first ever wrestling pay-per-view I ever watched was WrestleMania 30, winning the WWE World Heavyweight Championship in a triple threat. Uh, that is one of the most special memories that I have watching wrestling with my family and, uh, you know, just as a wrestling fan and, and a, a, an enthusiast of the sport, right? So this is a big one for me personally that I'm fired up for. The thing is, though... Uh, this isn't the same Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson that I was watching in WWE. Uh, he is much more beaten down. He has suffered one retirement since then, and Okada's threatening to put him out permanently. But that's not the only threat that's being made because Brian Danielson right back at him is saying, I'm going to make sure that you never hit the Rainmaker again for the rest of your career for the rest of your life, which essentially would be the end of the career of Kazushika Okada, who has built that legacy off of the Rainmaker, right? So, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Danielson and Okada are, are very different, even since their last encounter that they had in a singles competition in Forbidden Door. I don't think a lot of people expected Danielson to defeat Kazushika Okada, let alone tap out Kazushika Okada. Um I think that especially because Okada was coming in with such a, uh, a meandering attitude. He was in his F these kids era. Uh, <laughs> he was he was very much uh, nonchalant and I'd argue did not take Brian Danielson as seriously as he definitely should have. I don't think Okada is dumb enough to make the same mistake twice if he's dumb enough to make a mistake at all. And I don't think that Okada is going to be taking Danielson lightly, especially knowing that Danielson has tapped him out in the past. And also, Danielson is a man with, I don't want to say without will to live because there's there's will to continue on. But, man, if I, if I know that I have maybe nine more months or a year left or whatever it is in my professional career and I'm about to wrestle for the Tokyo Dome, which for what might be the first and last time in my entire life, I'm going to do a lot of crazy things to make sure I win. I'm going to do everything that I have to do to make sure that I win it. It doesn't mean resorting to cheating tactics, but it does mean if I have to break my own leg to make sure that you never walk again, I'm going to do so. 
when you say an eye for an eye and an arm for an arm, the, the line that was used, the line that I got to echo at uh, at Power Struggle, that's such a powerful phrase for uh, for Brian Danielson. You know, an eye for an eye, uh, you only end up blind, but Danielson's willing to go blind in the process of making sure that Okada's light is dimmed forever. I think that's powerful. How many other people as Danielson competed against throughout his entire career where he said, I'll end my career to make sure yours is over too. I, I can't think of any. And so all of that being said, I think that that is reason enough to pay your 999 yen. I think that this matchup, if anything sells this event at the Tokyo dome for wrestle kingdom 18, it is this one. You are going to want your eyes on Danielson Okada with a 60 minute time limit in the semi main event at the Tokyo dome. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they get the they get the brightest stage. You're the semi-made event. You go on right before last. This is this is a big time prime real estate spot. Like historically, some of the greatest matches have gone down in this spot. And then you have these two guys who, you know, at any given time, you could argue that either one of them, any given year over the last decade, has been the best wrestler in the world. Right. I mean, let's be honest, Okada is one of the greatest wrestlers to ever do it. Brian Danielson. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest wrestlers to ever do it. Yep. We're seeing, you know, Brian Danielson. Yeah, he got the tap out victory over Okada, but at the cost of breaking his arm. But once again, that also shows that Okada, like you, you broke his arm and this man still had it in him to tap you out. You tried to put him down again and he's still coming back for more. And as you pointed out, and I think it's it's perfect. And, and as he said in that promo, he is literally willing to give up, you know, up until everything left in him to make sure he takes out Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. And I think that that's just, this match has so much like story behind it. And it's and it's almost borderlines on almost like, I, I don't want to say hatred because I don't know if they truly hate each other, but mm-hmm. I would say that it borderlines on very the disdain. I think there's a lot of respect between them. I, so I don't think there could be any hate, but I think that they have a great deal of disdain towards the other one. And, and, it, and it comes out into what we're going to see, and it's going to be amazing. I think that this, like you said, this is the match that if you're going to spend 999 yen on, this is the match. And once again, I would like to point out for all of our American audience, that's not even $9. Right. And you get to see, not to mention all the other, you know, what we talked about. There's even more matches and then this match. I mean, Ken, would you like to add something to uh, Okada versus Danielson? Yeah, I mean, let's face it. This comes down to who is the best. Who is, at the end of the day, they need to know for themselves. The storyline is there. Daniel Bryan knows that he is eventually going to be retiring. He knows that Father Time is catching up with him. He knows that this is the last shot at the Tokyo Dome. And he has the dream match lined in front of him. And this has all the storyline built because this is going to be something for him. He has nothing to lose and everything to gain because what he wants is legacy. And he wants to make that big splash at the Tokyo Dome. And he wants to leave it all in the ring. You're going to see him just do whatever it takes to win. And Okada is going to sit there and match him blow for blow, hold for hold. This is something that we've seen before, but this is just so much more personal and it's more on a professional level. Like you touched on, it's not hatred, but it's just when you have premier athletes that know the temp in the room, know the stakes, know the stage that they're on, they know that they have to perform. This is legacy. And for competitors like this, this means everything. So for them, they're going to leave it all in the ring like I touched upon 
But this is Daniel Bryan's moment that he knows he's never going to have another chance like this in his historic career. He's going to go out there and just literally do whatever it takes that he can do physically, mentally, try breaking him. He is going to be his moment to write his point in this in his legacy forever for wrestling fans. And this is just going to be such a treat to watch. I can't even call a winner because Okada is that great. He understands that, and he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that doesn't happen. Right, and uh, you know, adding on to that, I think that there's there's differences stylistically with their approaches to preparing for this matchup. I think that Okada has has had a bit more of a laid back approach. I'd, I'd argue a, a lot more of a laid back approach to uh, training and, and taking on this matchup. Uh, he's been competing on the World Tag League events. He competed, or at least a couple of the World Tag League events. He competed in uh, both nights, I believe, of the Corican Hall events that we capped off 2023 with. Uh, and in a very interesting turn of events, the fashion that he defeated Kosei Fujita on that final night, taking things technically, taking things to a ground base style, and uh, just a, a simple tie you up, roll you up, and pin you just to showcase, hey, Brian, I am willing to take things to the ground with you. Um, I think that's big from Okada. On the other side of things, focus on that broken orbital bone. We haven't even touched mm-hmm. on that for Brian yeah. Anderson. Um, a lot of people, including myself, honestly, believe that Brian Danielson should not have competed in the Continental Classic. Brian oh, Danielson great. went on to compete in the Continental Classic, and multiple times over, we saw re-aggravation to the attempted healing of that orbital bone. The, the bloodying of the eye, the eye socket being continuously damaged. We're also talking about a guy in Danielson who has a history of, of eye issues when competing against Japanese talent. Let's think about mm-hmm. Ring of Honor. I think it was 2003 Takeshi Morishima, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was in Manhattan, and he had that detached retina, and I don't remember whether that's the same eye, and maybe I need to maybe I need to investigate that. But the focus is Danielson battled through that. Uh, Danielson's going to battle through the orbital bone issue, but it it would not be as exacerbated if he would have taken that time off. And that means that Danielson's approach was much more direct than Okada's. He knows that Okada is going to hit him hard. He knows that Okada is going to do everything in his power to get a victory. So his thought process is simple. I'm going to put myself with the best in the ring that AEW has to offer, the people that can test me on my home turf before I face my biggest challenge abroad overseas in the biggest stage in professional wrestling. And I, and I, you can't, you got to admire the balls of Brian Danielson. I'm going to say, you have to admire the cojones on that man, but it could be to his own detriment. We've seen before where Brian Danielson gets overzealous and, uh, and, and shoots his shot a little too high and fans are still on his side either way, whether he wins or loses. And that's a commendable feat, but, the history books only care about the W and the L that's placed in which column they go in. And I think that Danielson uh, might've done more damage and bit off a little more than he can chew all at once when it comes to the C2 continental classic and Kazushika Okada. Yeah. And on top of that, let's be honest, uh, forbidden door, great victory, but it's not wrestle kingdom. It will be weighted differently throughout time. If you lose at wrestle kingdom, it's not the same as, you know, 
losing or winning elsewhere. This is a big time event. This is this is something people talk about for years. This is something that every you know people remember the fact that Kenny Omega lost to Kazushika Okada in their first meeting at Wrestle Kingdom. People remember that. A lot of people remember that more than the fact of when Kenny Omega tied it up during the G1 that 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 same year. Think about it. Like more people remember his first loss to Okada over his first win against Okada, which was not for the title and it was in the G1. So like, this is going to mean a lot to Brian. Brian's got to win this match. You can't just sit on the fact that, Hey, I won at forbidden door. Oh, that's cool. We all remember that story. That's nice. But if Okada beats you at wrestle kingdom, that means people, more people are going to realize that he lost than, than won. So I think he, and I think he knows that. And, and once again, the continental classic might've truly hurt his chances of beating Okada here. Who knows? We'll find out. But I know we all want to talk about this one, and we have wait, enough wait, time wait, to wait. talk. I got, oh, sorry. I, I apologize. Uh-oh. I have one more point that Uh-oh. just came to mind. I don't think I'd feel right leaving it. Uh, It'll be the final go thing ahead. I say about Brian Danielson. But if Brian Danielson beats Kazushika Okada at the Tokyo Dome, I'll say it right here. Okada has zero excuse because mm-hmm. he's going in against Brian Danielson, who is 1,000% less than that. Less than a hundred, less than a thousand percent. He's not at the top of his game, uh, and maybe that is maybe that's another side of it for Brian Danielson, who said, "I want to compete in the Continental Classic so that way I could go in damage and still kick your ass." And I think that Danielson <laughs> has all the potential in the world to do so. So I just wanted to bring that point up because it came to mind, and I wouldn't feel right leaving it alone. And, and any if anybody's going to be crazy to have that philosophy, it would be Brian Danielson. Be yeah. yeah, it would be him, but. I know this is one that I know you really want to talk about. We want to talk about, and you know, there's only one way to close out talking about Wrestle Kingdom, and that is with the main event of the evening. And that, of course, will be for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. The champion coming in would be Sonata. Uh, vast history with this challenger. Of course, his challenger is the leader of Los Ingredables de Japón. He is also the man who won the G1 Climax 33 tournament this year. Tetsuo Naito. Now, there's a there's a lot of angles to this, and, I'm, and I know you want to touch on them, but the first angle that came to my mind when I saw this is there's a lot of story. Sonata, in a lot of ways, was Naito's young boy. He was Naito's protege. He was, you know, it's not your time, but I'm going to groom you in the man. And, and we all, and everybody, all the fans of New Japan felt that. One day, Sonata was going to be in the chair that he is in currently. Did he make it there a little fast? Who knows? But we also know Sonata as champion, a lot of people are not happy about his title reign. On the other hand, Naito, who wins the G1, still, and I mean, I don't put a lot of stock in it, but let's be honest, I know as somebody who, like him, does, he was snubbed by the PWI 500, won the G1, didn't make the top 500 in the world. Mind you, I will say this, I am a huge Naito mark. So mm-hmm. I was very offended for him. And I've, I've been a huge Naito mark for a long time. And He's the kind of guy that those criticisms actually fuel. This is a man who reinvented himself after he got voted out of the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. If if you go back that far, he won the G1, and then he got voted out. They put it to a fan vote, and him for the world title was not the main event. And then he left, went on a secondary excursion to Mexico, joined Los Ingredables, brought that back, and then we got what we have now where we all remember the man who was throwing the Intercontinental Championship, destroying it on a nightly basis because it was secondary to him. 
And he proved what he needed to prove. But I feel like he's in this position once again where he needs to prove it again. And and Sonata, he needs that big victory to prove his title reign. Your thoughts on this, Walker? You know, Tetsuya Naito, there's a lot of angles to this. I want to break it down uh, person by person. I want to start with Tetsuya Naito. It's a storied uh, conversation that's been had with Tetsuya Naito and the ocular surgery that he's had, the surgery to his eye. It was an eye that was uh, busted open, actually, at the Corican Hall event at a shot from just five guys, Doki, which, uh, God, you have to know that's rock Tetsuya Naito one way or another. But there was uh, a total of three surgeries he was capable of having, and after the third surgery, the surgery would become ineffective, uh, and he would begin to lose sight in that eye and gentlemen tetsuya naito has had that third and final surgery i i can't tell you that i'm I, i'm not a medical doctor I, I haven't talked to naito about this personally this is just everything that i have been told in and throughout the new japan sphere but uh it would not shock me if this is one of the final times that we see tetsuya naito compete in wrestle kingdom uh based off of the degenerative nature uh of this eye situation that Tetsu Unito deals with it's the same thing that led to the ending of Milano collection AT's in-ring career and he's he's had a very successful going at it as a Japanese broadcaster but uh you know you hate to see things end that way and so with that being said Tetsu Unito he says I'm winning G1 Climax 33 he gets the job done he says, I'm finally in the main event with the World Heavyweight Championship on the line. That's secured. And he ends up challenging, as you mentioned, someone who's a pseudo-former young boy in Sonata to him. And Sonata doesn't want to talk about it. Sonata does not want to promote his own main event for mm-hmm. the World Heavyweight Championship. If I'm Tetsuya Naito, and I know this may be my final time challenging for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. I know this might be my final time in Wrestle Kingdom. I know this might be my final time at the Tokyo Dome. And my opponent does not respect me enough to want to talk about the match that he is also going to be involved in because he claims he wants to talk about it in the ring. He wants to, to, to let the, the athleticism speak for itself. But he doesn't want to talk people into the door. I'm feeling disrespected if I'm Tetsuya Naito. And I think we've seen those buttons of Naito pushed uh, by Sonata. Specifically, I think back to the the Cork and Hall go-home show that we just had where Naito said, hey, you know, your team won tonight, great, but they've been been waiting to hear you speak. We've been waiting to hear you speak, champ. Let's hear you speak. And, And Sonata said, get the hell out of my ring. That's all Sonata had to say in reference to Tetsuya Naito. I think that... Sonata's playing 4D chess mentally, and and we're over here looking at it like it's checkers and not understanding what's happening. And that's not to say that I think Sonata is the smartest man in the world and he's he's outwitting us at every step. I, I do think that there is a, a reserve nature to Sonata that we saw during his time in LIJ. We saw him in New Japan Cup and win the World Heavyweight Championship this year and very much come out of his skin, come out of the shell. But there is a large part of me that truly believes, gentlemen, I'd love to get your thoughts on this particularly, that Sonata wants to be everything that Tetsuya Naito isn't, be the anti-Naito, yet still have everything that Naito has. That being the fanfare, that being the unadulterated support and love from the New Japan faithful, but he does not want to be over the top. He calls Tetsuya Naito pandering. 
He says that Tetsuya Naito only cares about himself, his own self-fulfilling prophecies. He says he doesn't care about the rest of the members of LIJ, that Sonata felt held down by Tetsuya Naito in Los Ingobernables de Japón. I think there's arguments to be made on both sides of that. But I think Sonata wants to be everything that Tetsuya Naito is without being Tetsuya Naito. He wants to do it in his own reserved way, but still find a way to get fans on his side without exactly... Uh, coming out of that shell, there's a part of me that thinks Sonata uh, has this this defense around him. He builds these walls, and it's something that we do when we're insecure. This is human human emotion, human nature. Uh, insecurity forces up to put us walls, or uh, to put walls up, excuse me. And uh, we are fearful of breaking them down uh, because if we keep these walls up, we at least know that they're not judging the true rendition of who we are and i don't know if we've seen the true sonata yet i don't know if we've seen the authentic sonata out of a a fear of judgment and a fear of uh resentment because sonata knows he's already not the most beloved iwgp world heavyweight champion we've ever had in history and if if he ends up breaking those walls down gentlemen uh it's affirmation if the fans do not stick to him like glue that he he isn't as beloved as he wants to think he is. I think there's some self-delusion as much as there is some mental games with Naito. And the fact that we haven't heard anything from Sonata on what his mindset is makes it much more unpredictable going into the Tokyo Dome as to what he's thinking. I mean, I, I know it, it might sound like I'm just saying words right now. And the, the reality is we're having to pull at straws and, and try and find some juxtaposition between these two because we haven't heard from Sonata, whether that's intentional to get people to talk about it more, whether, you know, is the best build, no build in Sonata's mind. Uh, there's There's a lot to it. Uh, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on the the word vomit that I just gave you. There's a lot of a lot of subtext to what we're talking about. Honestly, I think that uh, that that was pretty awesome though because I think there's a lot there. I really do. I think that you're right. He wants to be he. There's something inside of Sonata that dislikes Naito so much that he doesn't want to be him, but he wants to be. But he also at the same time wants to be better than Naito. And the problem is, is I don't know if you can get there. I don't know if you can get there with this non-committal attitude. If you can get there with this, you know, because when you're talking about being one of the most beloved New Japan champions, IWGP champions of all time, you know, you're not just talking about guys like Naito. You're talking about, we've already mentioned two other ones, Okada. You're talking about Tanahashi. And what do those guys all have in common? And I mean, we can go even further back to guys like Shinsuke Nakamura, even all the way back to Antonio Inoki. What do all those guys have in common? They're larger than life. You know, they, they are, you know, the fans latch on to what they are and who they stand for. And as you point out with Sonata, we don't know who he is or what he stands for because he doesn't want to tell us. And so I feel like at Wrestle Kingdom, it's going to be one of those moments where even if he conquers Naito, like you said, may, and he doesn't get the reaction, where do you go? Or maybe to be, defeat Naito, maybe he's finally got to give us who he is. Maybe he has to dig deep inside. Maybe the trick that Naito is going to pull win, lose, or draw is to pull out the emotion from Sonata. And maybe that's what needs to happen. And maybe that's the story we're, you know, that's being told here. But like you said, till we get there, we don't know. Ken, what's your thoughts? I mean, the only thing that I'm trying to think of like a great comparison to, but it's like when you have a champion that wins the belt and thinks everybody should just magically fall in love with them, and it doesn't happen, they don't know how to deal with it, like it's your perception is of reality, that's what we're seeing with Sonata. 
And I feel that you, uh, you hit it right on the head, Walker. This is something that I think he's like obsessed with. He wants everything Naito has, but he doesn't want to be Naito. And this is something that is just driving him nuts that he's just keeping a very calm demeanor and trying not to let his guard down because he wants to have people talk about him. He wants to be the headline and he just doesn't know how to get there. And how he's setting this up, I mean, he's really trying to draw like almost like a reverse psychology build to this match, but it doesn't it's just not connecting in, the, in that realm because you think about on social media, like we touched upon when he won the title, it was really, in my opinion, lackluster in the, in the fanfare because the fans didn't like go, Whoa, and like gravitate towards it. And now he's kind of in this weird position. It's like, he's champion. He feels he deserves more, but is getting less. And I think that how it's playing off with Naito, I think that this might be something that he has to really evolve himself to come out and win the fans. But the question is, what's their reaction going to be? And I fully think that you might see him go off on a, and it's be kind of like a weird comparison, but it's almost like when Dwayne Johnson turned into the rock, when he turned on the fans, like you almost need something like that with Sonata here. I, I sense uh, a, a comparison to be made between uh, WWE's Roman Reigns and Sonata in the sense of a man who wins the top prize in a professional wrestling company and is despised for reasons he doesn't exactly understand and mm. can't understand because he's a moral do-gooder. He's a man that uh, corporately and, and morally it makes sense to support, but for some reason people are not backing. Uh, and I, I'm, we, we saw how we saw what it took for Roman Reigns to evolve in WWE to finally get that acceptance and that respect from fans. Is Sonata going to have to do something a little similar? Is Sonata going to have to adopt a, a different side to himself, maybe unlock something a little bit deeper that we haven't seen out of him throughout this world championship reign? I mean, these are the, the questions that we're left having to posturize, having to theorize on because he has given us nothing to know where the mindset lies. We don't know if Sonata, I mean, we know he, the only things we know for certain is he's wrestling in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. But let's be honest, that's all he wants us to know. And mm-hmm. uh, admittedly, conversely, on on Tetsuya Naito's side, that's all Tetsuya Naito wants Sonata to inform people of, and we're talking about it. We're talking about, again, it's the reverse psychology, whether it's intentional or not, it is functioning. It is it is functional marketing Um from a, a very, it's it's a build we've never seen for a new Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP World Heavyweight Championship match. I, I'd say we've we've never seen something like this before. Absolutely, and I think that goes to you know one of the big gripes that you hear sometimes online with people is that the, there's no storytelling in Japan. I don't know where this myth came from that there's no storytelling, and I've always said, what do you mean? There's a ton of storytelling. There's always something, and that's why when when Naito won the G1, I was like, oh, you know, and Ken knows this. I was like, oh, we're going to tell the story. We're going to tell the story about about the protege and the teacher. We're going to tell the story. And and now we're doing it the opposite way. They took a swerve and went, Sonata doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to let anybody in. And I think that that's perfect because we all thought that it was going to be the normal student versus teacher. Naito's going to come out and he's going to say, hey, I taught you everything that you know but did I teach you everything that I know? And then the response from Sonata is I'm going to conquer the teacher. Well, we're not getting that. You know, Naito tried to do that. And Sonata said, no, thank you. No, mm-hmm. no, it's fine. We'll, we'll wait until we're in the ring. We'll, we'll figure okay. it out. 
how embarrassing do you think it is for Naito to uh, see Sonata as a as a former pupil, as a former student? Even though it's embarrassing on Sonata's end because they're nearly the same age and tried out at the same exact time at the the No Gay Dojo, but uh, you know Naito has to be thinking, man, after spending as much time as you did in Lij and under my wing and under that variety, uh, you'd think you'd know how to promote a main event in the Tokyo Dome, right? Mm-hmm. You'd think you'd know how to how to do the media runs and to talk about it and to uh, pack the building full. I, I've seen some people theorize in a very interesting way. What if Sonata's not talking about the World Heavyweight Championship match? Because if he does pack out the Tokyo Dome and he does end up having as many people as possible in there and he loses, he loses in front of a record amount of people at the Tokyo Dome. I think that's a I think it's a very interesting way to look at it. I've, I've seen that swirling around on social media. I don't know if it's my favorite theory, but again, we're left having to deal with these theories because Sonata hasn't given us anything. And maybe there's that that aura and that mystique that I want to say should encourage people to tune into the Wrestle Kingdom broadcast. I think one way or another, whether Sonata retains the championship or loses the championship, in order for survival, we're going to have to see an adaptation of the current Sonata that we have. And, and whether it's in the form of addressing the crowd finally, or whether it's in the form of something much different, I think we, ju- we there needs to be some sort of evolution for Sonata. Uh, we can talk all we want about numbers and world championship reigns and historic length and all that, but at the end of the day, it's all people remember how you treat them, not about what you did mm-hmm. in in the history books. And uh, if Sonata is not going to be a champion who interacts with the people uh, in mass, and rather would do so one by one individually that's fine but it's going to take a lot longer for you to be adored by the masses if you don't address them all at once yeah yeah i i think uh, there's a lot there you know and I, I think that going further i mean even if you go back to the beginning of sonata's run being you know around the time of everybody celebrating you know new japan and also celebrating antonio Inoki. And he kind of was very Inoki-esque when he won the belt, started putting on the suits, started carrying himself very regally, if you will. And when that didn't take, you know, like you said, it's either a mind game, a masterful mind game from Sonata, knowing that it's bothering Naito, or it's such insecurity in, in, in Sonata that it might be crippling to the champion. And either way, like you said, you have a challenger that technically has nothing to lose. His dates might be numbered, just like you were pointing out with Brian Danielson. His dates might be, we don't know that for sure, but they could be. So he might have nothing to lose in this match. He might be able to go for it all. And it's going to lead to one of the best, in my opinion, main events in the Tokyo Dome. And I know a lot of people are sleeping on this one. This is one of those matches that a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's not this match or it's not that match. It doesn't have to be because at the end of the day, it's what's going to happen on January 4th. Now, January 4th, I think this is going to be one of those matches that we look back on and go, I'm glad that I watched it, whether it was live or on delay or however people are watching it. I think this is going to be one of those matches. And I always say every year when we do year-end awards, and it's not just our show, but every show across the board, there's always a match for match of the year or, or multiple matches, depending upon divisions and tag matches. There's always a match or two or three from Wrestle Kingdom that make it all the way through the year that either win or they're still mentioned in that nomination. I mean, last year people would point to Omega Osprey as a perfect example of that. Right. And I guarantee just looking at this card, just as a fan, I'm going, 
there, like you said, there's there's four or five matches on here. I'm like, this could steal the night. This could be match of the year candidates on the fourth of January, being the first major event of the year. And I, I, I look I look at this main event as being one of those matches, very much like it could happen. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be there. But speaking of awesome in there, you will be there live with one of the best seats of the house. Mm-hmm. You get to watch this right up close. I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn the floor over to you because uh, I, I, I wanted you to tell people how to get a hold of you and stuff. And just one final plug before uh, we say so long. So, Walker, the floor is yours, man. Absolutely. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, if you want to check out my social media, I believe there's a QR code. You can check out the Twitter or the X or whatever you want to call it. At Velvet Voice WS is where you can find me on all social media platforms. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And also, uh, I do live stream on Twitch. It's twitch.tv forward slash Velvet Voice WS. I do a little bit of video game content and stuff like that. But I do have a plan for post-Wrestle Kingdom 18 going live for another hour or two and then getting a couple hours of sleep and then doing New Year's Dash the next day. Uh, In that stream on Twitch, we're going to talk all things Wrestle Kingdom about what happened and then preview New Year Dash because that card will have been finalized hopefully by that point or at the very least we'll have a better idea of how to theorize on what that card can be. So that's one I'm super excited for and I uh, I cannot wait for everything coming up. NJPW Global for all of your English content that you want. NJPWworld.com to watch uh, Wrestle Kingdom 18 and New Year Dash 2024 in Tokyo uh, 999 yen a month whatever that converts to for you less than nine dollars us right now and i think it's something that is well worth seeing kazushika okada and brian danielson competing alone for uh beyond that of course thank you guys for uh, allowing me on the podcast today i had an absolute blast it's one of my favorite ones that i've done in the in the 90 million that i've hit in the past few days and so uh this has been this has been a nice final pit stop on my uh on my road to wrestle kingdom media tour that i'm doing so i appreciate you guys having me on again and uh uh, or for the first time and i hope that we get to do this again going forward you know you stole it from me again we were talking before the show there's a couple things online i was just like hey you know uh, i hope we weren't one of the ones that you didn't like uh we will keep that secret uh but uh if we're not i we Definitely going to give. I, I'm definitely going to stay in touch with you, man. Get you back on and talk New Japan, talk indie wrestling, talk whatever, because that's what we like to do here. And we really like to keep the positive light here on uh, Nerd Initiative. You know, that doesn't mean we don't criticize and critique things. It just means that you know, you, there's a there's there's a way to do it, and then there's a way to be insulting. And we hope everybody out there is not. And yes. if you've if you've ever not given Japanese wrestling a chance for whatever reason, in New Japan specifically here. This is one of those shows, and I say this every year for Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom is the show to just watch, to take mm-hmm. it in. If you want to compare it to an American show, the only show it's comparable to, let's be honest, is WrestleMania. It is that level. The pageantry, the giant stage, the you know, you're going to see great entrances, especially when you get towards the end of the night. And you're going to see some of the best in-ring performances you'll ever see guaranteed every year i have never been disappointed and i mean that and i don't think it's go- i don't think it's jinxing anything because i don't think i'm going to be disappointed this year as well and i think anybody who's on the fence after hearing this i don't know how you can be on the fence i mean 999 yet it sounds like a lot but it's 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 literally less than nine dollars american right now and you get that and think about it this way in japan it's a pay-per-view so you're getting it for a premium right here in the states okay. and 
there's so much great New Japan stuff here in the States with Strong and everything else. It's something that you can dive onto. And, you, uh, and like, you can get Strong and stuff, I do believe, on uh, Fight Plus when it's live. Or, sorry, Fight That TV, Triller TV, whatever it is now. Uh, you know, but also you can wait, and it is also on New Japan. I do know that the, the American shows do not pour over. So when Battle in the Valley happens, you can't watch it live on NJPW World. Right. But if a couple weeks later, a week or two later, it's it's up. But if you want to watch it live, you can watch it on Fight Triller, whatever it is now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You can watch uh, you can watch the New Japan Strong events live, uh, Japanese coverage, if you are into that sort of mm -hmm. thing on njpw world which I, I definitely think is a fun thing to check out but if you want to hear myself if you want to hear veda scott or anyone else who joins the lovely cast of characters of the english broadcast booth on the american side of things then the triller tv pay-per-view is always there and that that is coming up uh, i believe january 13th battle in the valley mm -hmm. san jose california i'd be remiss to not mention that and and to anyone who has not listen to or seen anything about new japan pro wrestling before if you're still on the fence here's a final pitch for you now get out of your hair this is a pivotal time in new japan pro wrestling with a massive changing of the guard in a lot of ways uh, not only for myself in the broadcast booth replacing a 30-year veteran of the sport at 21 years age I, I can't believe i just said that uh you know that that's a big change as well uh there's a lot of stars that are leaving there's a lot of stars i know that are coming in there's a lot of stars that i know are developing if there's any time to hop on the new japan train every single year it's wrestle kingdom but this year specifically it's much more special than i can really get into detail on right now i guarantee you need to sign up for njpw world do it it's going to be well worth your money you can cancel it anytime but i don't recommend that you do because you have a lot of great wrestling that you'll be missing out on so uh you know if you're, if you're afraid of the overwhelming nature of japanese pro wrestling uh, myself and my broadcast colleague chris charlton uh work to try and bring that that barrier that new fans of the product as a relatively new fan uh, overwhelmingly myself uh I, I try and bring that guard down for a lot of people and there's a lot of great people in the community that can help out with that as well so i heavily encourage y'all check out new japan pro wrestling thank you rich thank you ken for having me on the podcast today and like i said i i can't wait for us to do this again all right uh finally uh ken just tell the fine folks how to get a hold of you real fast very simple, short, sweet, odphpodcast.com. Walker, thank you for coming on the show. Definitely have to talk again soon. And definitely, whenever you see this, whenever you hear this, go support him on social media. Go check out what he's doing because, I mean, hearing the story of how he got into the business, it's nothing but a great way to say thank you and support what he's doing because he is putting in the work and it definitely deserves the praise. Absolutely. If you're trying to get a hold of me, just go to 3fnpodcast.com. All my information is there. And of course, if you're trying to find anything about pop culture and pop culture positivity, visit nerdinitiative.com. And I do believe that I'm contractually obligated to also tell you, you can visit the store and buy some swag and help keep the lights on. Uh, and once again, also right into that nerd initiative, one that you want, uh, NI wrestling and uh, wrestling night live merch to hit the store. And then I can, then we can really plug it. But yes. with that being said, thank you once again, Walker. We are definitely going to do this again. Uh, I'm just going to make sure I keep in touch because I'd love to get you back, especially after the uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And like I said, anything you want to talk about, New Japan, uh, indie wrestling, I'm game for everything. So definitely great talk, great conversation. Hope everybody enjoyed it at home. And with that, we bid you adieu and say later, wrestling fans. <laughs>
damn hard I can know 